This is Including You, the new series from Lead at Any Level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger. Welcome back to Including You. I'm your host, Amy C. Wanninger, the Inclusion Catalyst. My guest today is Dr. Christopher Witt. He's the Vice Chancellor, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the University of Denver, a private university committed to the public good. The University of Denver is a mid-sized Research One university with about 12,000 students and employs close to 800 academic staff and nearly 2,000 administrative staff. Dr. Witt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Amy. I'm so excited to talk to you, but there's something in your bio that I think we need to clarify for folks. What's a Research One University? A Research One University is really, it's a Carnegie classification. The Carnegie Foundation classifies universities across the country first on the type of institution they are in terms of their research and their teaching. So that's where we be as the University of Denver, newly minted Research One institution. We're very happy about that uh, designation because we were able to achieve uh, R1 status our way. And with that, we really maintain a, a level of focus on the classroom and on working with students directly and having our faculty members interact directly with students in a little bit different way than you may see at some other research institutions, I, I really think you could think of us as a research one institution with a real liberal arts uh, ethos. Thank you for that explanation, because it sets me up very well for my next question, which is, why does an organization like University of Denver, why does a higher ed institution focus on both research and classroom experience, invest in inclusion and the work that you do? When you really look at the work that we've done over the years and the work that's been done here at the University of Denver in more recent years since I came at the helm as the first full-time uh, vice chancellor of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we really see that these investments of both time, energy, effort, uh, all of those things in diversity, equity, and inclusion really help undergird the big priorities of the university, what makes us who we are. We have a commitment to the four-dimensional experience, as we call it here at the University of Denver. That includes really focusing on our students and ultimately we'll broaden that focus to everyone at the university on advancing intellectual growth, pursuing careers and lives of purpose, promoting well-being, and exploring character. And a lot of times when I'm making my way around the university and engaging with folks as we all start to dive into the 4D experience, as we call it, the connections to diversity, equity, and inclusion are clear. We're really looking at ways in which folks can come to the university and they can thrive as their full and authentic selves, in their full humanity. And all of those four dimensions that I talked about really provide us with an undergirding across the university to really support people and see them there. And DEI is an important part of that. We also, as we talked about a moment ago, being a research one institution, newly minted research one institution, we really want to appeal to the best and the brightest, be that faculty, staff, or students. 
And one of the ways in which you appeal to the best and the brightest across all different areas of intersecting identities is really showing up as a destination of choice where people, as I said previously, can show up as their full and authentic selves in their full humanity and really thrive. And, and lastly, you talked about it as us having that priority of being a, a private institution for the public good. And when we think about the public good, who is the public? Who is our public? Our public are people of all different backgrounds, be it across lines of religion, race, gender, sexuality, socioeconomic status, or any combination of those ways of learning, ways of thinking. Uh, so when we really have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're able to better live out uh, who we say we are and we want to be as this private institution for the public good. Everything you said makes so much sense. And it is to me why, even in the face of some cultural headwinds around DEI work, the work needs to continue because the problems that DEI work solves mm -hmm. and the opportunities that DEI work seeks to capitalize upon mm -hmm. are not changing or not going away despite some backlash, despite some, some changing narratives in the public discourse. And I just want to give you a moment to respond to that. Yeah, the, the work that we aim to accomplish, the ways in which we aim to really open up space for people to not use their energy in just fitting in, quote unquote, fitting in, for people to not use their energy in presenting some version of themselves or hiding key elements of their identity allows for institutions, be them higher ed institutions or corporate entities or whatever you want to name, for people to give their all, to give the, the most they can. And this is a moment in time where we do have folks who are trying to either undermine or do away with diversity, equity, inclusion, say it's not needed, but in the same breath, talk about how we need to be more productive. We need to be more efficient. We need to get more out of our workforce. We need to get more out of any investment that we make in community. And it really, those two kind of ways of thinking that, like I said, sometimes people will say in the same breath, they really run counter to one another. Because our world, if we talk about it in lots of different ways, it's not getting less diverse. It's not getting less connected. Uh, we're get, building more connection and we're coming in contact with people on more of a regular basis who may be different than us, who may have different perspectives, but we need to figure out ways to work together to really make a better world, to make whatever product we're trying to make, to create knowledge in a higher ed space. And if we do that without intentionality and real care in creating spaces where folks can thrive in their full humanity, we're going backwards and we're really not going to be as productive. It doesn't mean everything will shut down. But it does mean that desire to move forward gets thwarted a bit when we start to pull out this undergirding that really opens up space for people to be able to really be their full selves and do great work. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that, because I think it's important um, that we in the space remind ourselves and each other and folks outside this space why the work matters, regardless of these little blips, these little hiccups, minor setbacks or different things that come up. I'm curious with the, in the environment that you're in, in higher education, research with a classroom focus, what are you doing specifically? What initiatives have you launched or what, what tools are you using that are, that is helping 
advance diversity, equity, and inclusion at University of Denver? I would say that we only have a limited amount of time, so I, I won't go through everything that we're doing because here in the division of DEI at the university, we really touch the entire institution, be it operations, be it through other means, connections to supporting students, through um, direct connections with our faculty and staff. So I'll focus more generally on a lot of the work that we're really building up in terms of a focus on community really building up the best ways that folks can feel like they're part of the DU community, but they also have community with other folks who share lived experiences, who share uh, various intersecting identities. And we've really worked as we've built our DEI office into a DEI division. That's one of the first things that I really was intentional about in getting here is that if we're going to have me as a leader, as a vice chancellor, and you have other vice chancellors who lead divisions, and Diversity, equity, inclusion really is something that we do centrally in touching the whole institution, but also there are pockets of folks doing DEI across the institution to best be able to serve them, to make them feel supported. We'd have to work as a division with the organization of a division that really looked like other divisions across the, the university. And as we've transformed into that division, it's opened up opportunities for us to better foster community and serve community. So we really have a focus on both our faculty and our staff affinity groups. When I first got here, we didn't have support for the staff affinity groups coming from diversity, equity, and inclusion. It came from human resources, and we had some focus on our faculty affinity groups coming out of DEI. We really wanted to bring those together in partnership with human resources and other areas across the institution, but really to have more communication and collaboration between our faculty and staff affinity groups and really be able to have that logistical support coming from one place and really be able to say, these are our DEI priorities. You all are living in this space. Are they working? Are they not working? Really have that instant feedback and be able to give that instant support. We also had, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion work happening in various colleges, schools, and other units across the institution. And what I really wanted to do was to say, all right, in another way to build community, let's build community amongst the folks who are leading DEI in those various spaces. This year, we're actually kicking off our um, diversity, equity, and inclusion leadership cohort. So in the summer of 2023, folks are starting with some common readings, some meetings, some viewing of some curated interviews that I've done with colleagues from across the globe who lead DEI in various capacities in higher education. And throughout the year, we're really meeting on a regular basis to build that community, to work through readings, to work through various challenges and opportunities, to have guests come in and really work with that group. And the inaugural uh, cohort is filled with folks from various colleges and schools who would, for lack of a better term, be labeled as academic diversity officers. But that's not the limit to what the cohort will look like. Each year, we'll cycle in different leaders from across the institution. There may be folks who are leading in more operational spaces. There may be folks who are parts of diversity, equity, and inclusion committees across the institution. But really, reading from or singing from the same hymnal, as opposed to saying DEI is a priority at the University of Denver, now everybody go do it. 
to say we want the folks who are doing it to feel supported, to come together under that supportive space of the division of diversity, equity, and inclusion, still to have autonomy in doing what they're doing, but then to feel like they have connections to other people doing similar work in similar spaces, and they also have an understanding of the direction that we're headed as an institution. I would say lastly, in that same vein of uh, really supporting community, we've been working with folks in academic spaces from the provost's office to other colleges and universities and deans to really build up uh, more of a cohort model for incoming faculty from a variety of backgrounds and identities that may be underrepresented in a typical incoming year of faculty here at DU. And uh, we continue to build out the supports, the community uh, building experiences, and the ways in which you may be the one person that has your intersecting identities in your school, but maybe there are three other people scattered across the institution. And through having that incoming faculty cohort, we're able to build connections and communities in ways that people may not naturally uh, be able to have that. But really, it's all about providing that as an opportunity or an option as people are considering the University of Denver and then providing that option once they're here. In no way is it mandatory, but it's certainly yet another way that we're looking to really build out uh, communities. Like I said, I have examples too numerous to go th through here, but really to give you a little taste of what we're doing, that's really one of the focus areas that we have is using a, the centralized nature of our division to then reach out across the institution to try to build those connections in those communities. What strikes me about this is, as I'm thinking back to when I was in college, the schools are all different the, and they're isolated or what's the word? Separated on campus. The, Some people the, use the term silo and yeah. <laughs> don't like to hear it, but in higher education, lots of things end up at least feeling like that. Yeah, but you know, like the, the liberal arts buildings are over here mm -hmm. and the business school buildings are over here. And so there's not a lot of people walking back and forth between yeah. those parts of the campus. It's not dissimilar in the corporate space where different departments or different divisions or different business units operate independently of each other as well. And this work, diversity, equity, and inclusion work can be very lonely work when you have multiple people in the same organization doing the work, bringing them together makes a lot of sense, but not a lot of places do it. I'm curious with all of the community building that you're doing and all of the fostering and, and servicing to these communities that you're doing, and you're talking about a lot of different communities, not just the DEI community, yeah. but you've got faculty community, staff communities, student communities. What results are you seeing out of this? Are you seeing more belonging, more connection to the work? You talked about the idea of students and all this work that we do at a university, whatever work it may be, is ultimately the goal is the uplift of students to really create a better experience for them to send them out to be able to best make a better world. And to that end, with a lot of the things that I mentioned in our space, we've also worked on agreements and really heightened communication between our division and our division of student affairs and inclusive excellence, which is our student-focused division to say, how do we take all this good community we're building amongst the folks who work here so they can best serve those students, but then translate it directly into things that really help the students. And I really think that when we look at that as the ultimate goal, we're able to take that step back and really think from an executive space of the needs 
the good and the opportunities for the entire institution. And we start to really be able to measure what's been successful by, in one way, are the people communicating? Are we having these moments of where our biggest challenges are the fact that the people over here have no idea that the great things are happening over here? So we're starting to see that. And I know that's hard to quantify. And I'm sure there's going to be some corporate views like, how do, how do you quantify something like that? But it's certainly something that through us being in regular communication across these areas in the university, the less that we have people coming to us and having no clue that there are these opportunities, and the more we have people coming to us to say, I want in on that, that's a good thing, let me check it out. We're at early stages, but that's really where we start to see the difference, where people really want to buy into things that they know are going on, and they want to make sure that they're looped in as fully as possible, as opposed to saying, well, we have nothing here. And then you say, actually, we're doing this and this. And they say, we didn't know because of the silos, because of the lack of communication. Also, some of the challenges that we look to address, are we having to create something from scratch? Or through all of these connections, are we better equipped when a challenge comes our way to be able to say, hey, we're ready for that? Or we're ready to to pull the trigger on partnerships that we're keeping the fires burning until really needed. So those are some of the areas where I think we have some initial measurement of initial success. And we also recognize that in order to really move the needle with a lot of leaders across an institution or move the needle with the the quote unquote public of an institution, you want to have a real strong snapshot in a moment. So we are coming soon, I would say, is a a climate survey that we'll do. And we recognize that will be uh, more of a snapshot, but it will really help us to see, okay, what's working, what's not working, where are some challenges that we didn't really recognize? How does this look different than what maybe we thought it was? So it's always a combination of engaging in conversation and anecdotal evidence, along with from time to time, really taking those measures where you have a little bit more hard data to really put together. So having a mixed methodology of measuring our progress is I think the best way to go because we're in the people business. So if we solely relied on on the numbers and we never engage with the people, I don't think we could deliver the product that's needed. I agree. And I think as a research university, you're certainly wanting to lean heavily on quantitative data, Yes, but you also don't want to miss the qualitative data because that's where the real stories happen. That's where the real experience changes are for folks. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you want to be able to capture because it, it learning doesn't occur by looking at, at charts and, and graphs. Learning occurs by telling a story with yeah, that data. It, it definitely. And I think that's at the core of everything I do, originally being a political scientist and really finding the ways to mesh together, weave together that qualitative and quantitative analysis to be able to see the story and tell the story. Because there, there's a story that comes from qualitative and there's a story that comes from quantitative. And many times those stories can be quite different. And you start to get a little bit closer to what might actually be happening when you're able to look at both of those and move forward with all the information. So you've already answered a little bit of my next question, which is what's next? I know next is climate survey. You're expanding your program, expanding your division, excuse me. Yeah. What else is next for UD? Yeah, I would say that we're really 
looking to establish ourselves as this destination of choice. We will have a little bit more time under our belt as a research one institution. We're really making sure that we are not only expanding our footprint in the higher education DEI space, both more locally or regionally through partnerships with other institutions in the area and communication with those institutions, but also establishing ourselves in national spaces where these discussions are happening, where the recruiting is happening, where the work is really being done, but we can't only focus there. We have to continually work on ourselves. So it's really an inside outside strategy and say, are people satisfied? Do people feel seen? Do they feel like they're able to really thrive in their full humanity? So continue doing that work that we talked about earlier in terms of some of that community work, but keeping an eye on the fact that we have to continue to tell our story internally and externally because we can make all the progress in the world. And if people who aren't currently plugged in aren't being told about it, then they may miss the opportunity to come join us and make even a better world uh, here. So I think that uh, really continuing what we talked about earlier, expanding that footprint and better telling our story to ourselves as a DU community and outside the community, those would be some of the things that we'll continue to do as we move forward and really keeping our eye on whichever opportunities as well as challenges we face along the way, both in the broader national higher ed landscape and more specifically in our University of Denver landscape. Fantastic. Dr. Witt, thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise, and all of your successes and all of your endeavors with us. I greatly appreciate you. Thank you for the time. Take care. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio Podcast Series, available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You. That's it for this week's episode of Including You. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review or a comment to help others find us as well. Be sure to join me next week when my guest will be Elise Rylander from Outward Bound USA.